Hi, everyone. Welcome to Real Life with Ruth McDee, and I'm your host, Ruth McDee. Glad you're with us today again. We have a, man, I don't even know how to describe, I don't even know how to describe this guy. He has been on the show. We're sitting here arguing whether it's, this is the second or third. So since I'm the host of the show, (laughs) anyway, yeah, he's saying now it's four. But I'm going to introduce and just get everything out of the way with the the bio, the intro, all that good stuff. And I want you all to welcome back my good friend, Daron Mahan. Hey, I did. I got it. Nailed it. One take wonder right there. (laughs) So it's his last name, in case you didn't recognize, is very Irish. And we say it one way, and he says it another, and we just fight over how to pronounce his name. Everything. (laughs) Just yeah, I've learned. Oh, it's so good to see you again. It's good to see you, Ruth. We have done nothing but laugh since you got here to prepare it. for the show. So hopefully we can get some good content will, out of this. We will mind the depths today, no doubt about it. We will do that. <laughs> so who are you for people who don't know? Because you have been around the this particular show almost as long as it's been going. Yeah. And you've been here a f- more times. than once. <laughs> <laughs> a few times. Yeah, the last time I was with you was we were in a radio booth. Mm-hmm. And we were literally shoulder to shoulder. That's right. And as if I turned, I mean, I was, you know, the, the guy who was on the left of me. If I turned at all, he and I were literally eye to eye. Yeah. I just remember that. And Good thing I don't tur- have claustrophobia anymore. <laughs> Got you over that. But if you turned <laughs> to the right, I needed a towel. There you were. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was spitting and spruing uh, everywhere. So, yeah. So who are you for people who don't know? Well, I was born a poor sharecropper's son in the 1940s. Not really. <laughs> You look well for your age, yeah, by the I've way. Yeah, I tried to pres- uh, pres- you know, See, this, preserve. See, there's no telling how this show is going to go, but we'll, we will get to good stuff along the way. You just got to listen in. Yes. No, I've been I've been pickled well. Married to a good lady. Uh, I'm a third-generation yeah. preacher's kid. Uh, I was raised pretty much on a stage. Um, you know, it was like a I was a religious circus performer in a lot of ways. Hmm. Uh, I, and what does that mean? Well, I just learned as a kid... Um, that I could sing, that I could make people laugh, that I liked to, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed making people feel good. Mm. And I would start, even at as a young age, one of the first memories, which I don't really remember this, but my parents do. Yeah. And uh, they said when I was about two years old, we had moved to Birmingham, Alabama. My father was kind of uh, trying out that's what term they use, trying out for a church mm-hmm. there. And so they used, this was before my younger brother was born. And so they got me on a chair and they had taught me two or three Bible verses to memorize. Mm-hmm. So they got me up on the chair. I guess I was the warm up act for my dad <laughs> before he preached. So they got me on the, on the chair and they People had to bribe that. me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess so. They bribed me that night with a pack of just plain little M&M's. As I was a little boy, that would be like a treat, an M&M. Mm-hmm. And so they told me, they said, Deron, if you'll, you'll, you know, do this scripture, we'll give you a bag of M&Ms. So I was, you know, I had that filed away evidently in my memory. And I said the verse, it was actually out of, is a passage out of Acts 2.38. Mm-hmm. And it was, then Peter said unto them, and it was King James. I'm a little boy learning <laughs> King James. The these and the yeah, vows. Right. The message was not a thing back then. Right. So I had to do the King The 1940s? James. Yeah. Okay. It, was, it was. The earth just cooled. Uh, and so I was talking and I said, you know, then Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hey, Turned that's around. that's good for yeah, a two-year-old. That's, that's, I'm telling you, it stuck. 
And I turned around in the microphone and said, Mom, can I have my M&Ms now? <laughs> so, I mean, it was the gig was up. They knew that I was totally under the influence of bribery. Uh, it wasn't that the word was just that spilling out of me. It was that I was thinking about those that M&Ms. That is hilarious. So if anybody needs you to do something in this day and age... Bag of M&M's? Yeah, well, not so much now. It's Metamucil these days. Oh, is that? Yeah, it's more Metamucils, <laughs> Metamucil and things like that, yeah. I thought a for sure you were going to say like a, a bag of cash or something. Well, no, that, that's, that yeah, that's acceptable. But so, you know, I was singing, my mom says, now you know how moms can sort of take realities and just flower them up a little well, bit. Well, especially when it's their kids, uh, When of it's course. the kids, yeah. yeah. Mom said I Evangelistically was... Evangelistically speaking. Exactly. And yes. we were evangelists. We, <laughs> yeah. When I was first born, we traveled all over... Up until two when we moved to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, we traveled all over the U.S. and Canada. Mm. And I would... Uh, my mom said I was singing by the time I was like a little over one year old, just singing mm. with her and dad. So we did all of that... Um, and I was just like the little boy with the big voice. Mm. And so I, I enjoyed the attention I got. I was, I, you know, I was raised in a very nurturing family, though. My mom and dad always supported me. They were always encouragers. Um, just I don't have one of those stories like I was starved for the approval of my dad mm-hmm. and mom. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were great. So the problem sad. was is the environments that I engaged in made it easy for me to realize, hey, you know what? If I'm going to get all these people to like me, I got to perform. Mm-hmm. I got to do something mm-hmm. to cause them to say, hey, the little dude is great. We want to be around him. Let's throw peanuts at the circus monkey. We like him. Yeah. And so inevitably that kind of, that became attached to my value, my worth. Mm-hmm. I had to perform. I had to make people feel a certain way in order to gain mm-hmm. validation Approval for you and to acceptance. feel a certain way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I always loved people. I always, I mean, I was just, I enjoyed being around people. I got energy from people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the older I got, the more I realized, well, wait a minute. It Sometimes I enjoy being around people because I enjoy the way they make me feel. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and then I started learning through process that, you know, relationship is, is, it's deeper than that. You love people unconditionally. You reach for them. You love them even if they don't reach back, even if they don't think you're the best thing since peanut butter mm-hmm. and jelly sandwiches. You know, it's like you still, you love them. And so I think until I reached that point of understanding that my life was not a performance, uh, I struggled in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, mostly it was, it was all self-absorbed ways. I mean, if I didn't feel like I was perfect, at everything, I, I would bottom out. I couldn't handle it. I was like, comparison was a big thing. Yeah. Competition, I never processed properly as a child, even up into my teens. Honestly, if we're speaking truthfully today, probably up into my married my yeah. married years too, yeah. I had issues that I had to deal with in some of those ways. Uh, and so identity was hijacked at an early age. And it's yeah. so weird because when I look at how I was raised, I was, I had like the dream life of a family. My family was great, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they, they loved me regardless. But I think it was because of just the, I don't know, the worldview, the belief systems that we were such, uh, you know, such so tied to yeah. that was just kind of put on me. And I was exposed to a lot of that. And I just started thinking about myself, mm-hmm. uh, you know, jumped the rails. And then the way, even the way I looked at God, it was just weird. Well, when you think about it, though, that applause, it's a high. It is. It's like a drug. Mm-hmm. And if you're not continuing to get that high and that approval and that applause, yeah. then where do you go if you don't have that foundation set? And I mean, you walked into that 
when you were two, (laughs) you know, and nobody's thinking, oh, we need to tell him X, Y, Z. Right. But, and we see that with lots of people who go into the music industry Mm -hmm. where they, they get in there, but they're in it for that high. That's their drug of choice. It is. And when people start to say, "Uh, no, or, you know, it's just not a good day, you know, well, 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 how how can I get that feeling? What can I do? So did you take a road that was just totally crazy at that point? Well, were you grounded enough to be able to plot on through until you I was grounded enough in the awareness and and the love for God. The problem was, is because of the performance mentality, there were the undertones of fear. Fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of no longer being liked, uh, fear that... But but then I, I projected that onto God as well because the religious environment that we came up in was very legalistic. It was very performance-oriented. It was very image-driven. Um, it, it was very just, you know, treadmill. I mean, you're on the, tread, yeah. you're on the religious treadmill, man. And, and so in my mind, if I do good, God loves me. If I screw up, man, God's got that celestial mallet ready to clobber me. And so I lived my life in fear. And so because of that, um, I never got off into a lot of the uh, drug scene, alcohol, uh, just any of the, the vice kind of stuff. I was too afraid, man, the moment I get out and smoke a doobie, Jesus will return and I'll be left behind. Mm, so <laughs> you know, it was or, in you hard. It yeah. was, man. It, it, and it was... It was it drove my worldview, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's why even in relationships there was always that I loved being around people, but in the back of my mind it was like, what if I do something and they reject me? Mm-hmm. What if I, what if they don't like me? What you know? I mean, it was it was awful to live in that. While by the same token, my dad and mom never put that in me. Mm-hmm. I think I was such an impressionable kid because I loved the responses I got from other people mm-hmm. that I was always allowing external factors to define me. Yeah. Even though my dad and mom, I mean, my dad and mom are the, I often say if, if they physically could, they, would, they could parent the world. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're nurturing, yeah. they're encouraging, they're examples of what it means to be Christ-like. My mom... Uh, my mom would fight the Russian army for me. I mean, she literally <laughs> yeah. would. Yeah. My dad was mom. like Jesus walking around in shoe leather. Mm-hmm. I still remember Saturdays, the one day we could sleep in, my brother and I, and you know, early in the morning we would hear mom and dad walk in the halls of our house praying, mm-hmm. interceding, praying over us. It's uh, wow. a funny story I like to pick on my mom about. But I remember this prayer that my mom praying. She would pray, God, I just would rather you go ahead and take my boys now than to let them grow up and bring a reproach on your kingdom. <laughs> oh, that made you feel I'm, good, I'm like, it? God, Mom, oh. give me a shot at this. Give me a chance to at least be a screw-up or a success. Don't try to seal my fate with your prayer right now. Oh, my. But, but I, would, I remember walking the, the, uh, the church aisles in the sanctuary with my dad praying. My dad always had a very conversational prayer life with God. It was, mm. he was so close to God. I mean, it was almost like when I'm walking around, I'm listening to my dad pray. I'm literally as a kid thinking God's in here somewhere because <laughs> yeah. there's no That's way. Awesome. I mean, he, you know, dad didn't have a lot of the, you know, the weird ways of prayer. No, these and those. Yeah. Dad didn't. Yeah. Now, nowadays he, he'll talk in King James sometimes. And I usually, you know, <laughs> rattle his chain and I'm like, dad, Calm down. It's just me and you. You're not preaching. <laughs> it's just just use modern day English. Get out of the old king's English. But uh, that is funny. Yeah. So I guess it was just 
that was my big battle, yeah. uh, was battling fear and performance. Did you feel like when you were growing up in the church that there was a lot of legalism, perhaps? Yeah. There you was. think that led to some of those feelings? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can... I lived through the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the greatest outreach tools of Pentecostal church was fear. You, mm-hmm. you wanted to scare people, man. You wanted to make them feel the flames of yeah. hell licking at your feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yep. you know all the, the movies back in those days, the, the gospel movies like A Distant Thunder, mm-hmm. A Thief in the Night. And, you know, people, these crusades and hundreds of people running to the altar because, not because they fell in love with Jesus, but because they didn't want to go to hell. Yeah. That was what brought them. And so that's how I formulated my existence. <clears throat> but for some reason, the cool thing is I always maintained this childlike wonder of God. Mm. I believed in a very in a big God. I believed that He loved me, but that was a deep that was a deep sense in me. Yeah. On the surface, it was just chaotic and fearful. Mm. But God always kept that flame. Even when I would be just overrun with fear in different scenarios in my life, there would come that point to where I would feel that that love, that yeah. security of God's love and a Father's love. Mm-hmm. But everything else around me, in a, from a religious standpoint, was speaking opposite language of that. Yeah. So I it was I had to I had to mm-hmm. cut through a lot of weeds. Uh, and that's why, that's why I think that's why in a lot of ways I'm a late bloomer. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm 54 years yeah. old and I feel like I'm in many ways just getting started. Mm. That's, so. a, that's awesome too, that, that, you know, you're just getting started. It's yeah. not, you're winding down. This right. Is, it means I'm going to live to 108, hopefully. There you go. <laughs> so what were you fearful of? You know, the Bible talks a lot about fear and how not to be afraid. Right. What were the things that were just really weighing on you with fear? I couldn't be away from my dad <clears throat> or mom for very long at a time. Mm. If we would go to a shopping mall, and they were a lot bigger thing back in, in those days. Yeah. And and uh, if my mom, I happened to be in a store with her, and I got separated from her, and I couldn't find her, mm-hmm. instantly my mind would go to, I've been left behind. Really? In every scenario. So it's not of somebody that would come and take no. you or you'd be left with the lights out. No, I, oh. because any of that kind of any of that kind of thing, I I wasn't afraid of the dark, really. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, those kind of fears mm-hmm. that you always think of. And I, yeah. uh, my mom was pretty fearful and she would she would sometimes inadvertently kind of project that fear onto mm-hmm. me like, son, you, you need to, you know, there's there's people that don't have good motives out running around. You better. And so that would cause me to be a little more aware of yeah. my surroundings. But the big thing was that mm-hmm. um, fear of that, fear of losing my my dad and mom, fear of death, those kinds of things, mm-hmm. um, you know, and fear of rejection. That was probably a mm-hmm. really big one. Yeah, which that's <clears throat> huge when you put that in the perspective that you know you grew up from two yeah. performing, and mm-hmm. you know the, the people stop laughing or the people stop applauding. Oh yeah, it's it can be a scary thing. It can. Yeah. It can, especially when you're you're. It's like your identity is a moving target. Mm-hmm. It's never fixed. But I go back to just there was always like this undertone in me. It was almost like God, the cradle of his love and his approval of me was always there, even though I didn't see it sometimes. It was like a safety net. And yeah. I would reach a certain point where I just felt like I would bottom out and I would find that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so it was like an escape when I in, in some of my worst feelings of like, man, I, I am just, I am, I'm a, 
I'm nothing. I'm a, I'm a scum, man. I don't want, there's no value left in me. And in those darkest moments, I remember that steady, mm. you know, but as a young kid, you don't really know what that is. Cause all you're, you're determining your worth by what, by your senses, what you're hearing, what they're saying and all that. So, um, that kept me. So God kept me even when I had no idea I was being kept. Yeah. So in those times, did you know what the issue was? Did you know that it was a whole identity issue that, you know, that it wasn't supposed to be like that? It was supposed to be something else? Did you have conversations with God about it? No. I, at that time of my, I probably didn't start even becoming cognizant of the whole identity uh, and that it was an issue with me until I was probably in my 20s, mm-hmm. out of college, married. Um, because the college I went to was deeply rooted in that same mm-hmm. religious ideology. But the difference was during this time, even while I was at college, I began to kind of I hear the distant call, so to speak, like, man, there's something more that I'm missing. Mm. there. So I started asking questions, and I started I started seeking and feeling like, Everything I'm seeing here that is supposed to be related to Jesus, it's supposed to be, uh, you know, examples of Christianity. I, I'm not, that's not, something's not setting right with me. Yeah. So I began to see that then, but uh, I was on the road with a group uh, here in Nashville after we moved here. I was on the road in 2013 when really I felt like I was put on a fast track to this whole identity rescue identity recalibration because when God when that started kind of being a thing that was rattling around in my cranium it's like okay now I've got I got to get reestablished and mm-hmm. and and I knew pieces and parts because of hearing the stuff all my life and learning I memorized yeah. scriptures I won all kind of Bible drills, scripture memorization things but that's an example of you can learn so much about God and so much about your purpose and the kingdom and yet it never really settles in to become reality. Yeah. It's all by it's rote. A, it's a head. It is knowledge and not a heart. Knowledge. That's yeah. And so when that when that started kind of really becoming an awakening, a renaissance of a, of a sort mm-hmm. for me, uh, it started changing everything. And then I started going back, and I'm like, okay, let's go back, God. Just where did this? How did? Where did this start? What was mm. I? You know. So I got a lot of, I got a lot of therapy. Uh, but I didn't have to pay for. It. I mean, it was yeah, well. Therapy. I paid for it physically, <laughs> mentally, emotionally. But but it was uh, it was. I never had a problem throughout my life when I would get called on something like you're wrong. I was never the kid that defended and tried to make excuses mm-hmm. for what I did. I was probably the other extreme. Mm-hmm. I would take blame for anything that happened yeah. because I just assumed it was probably me. Mm-hmm. because of the performance thing. Yeah. yeah, I probably screwed up somewhere. It was something I didn't say right. I didn't treat somebody mm-hmm. right. I didn't think this right. And so I would automatically assume that, well, that kind of made it easy for God to kind of get down inside and say, okay, you're not guilty of all of that probably, mm-hmm. but let's go and let's start Let's start building, let's start reestablishing your identity in a, in a solid place, mm-hmm. and then let's just watch it go from there. Well, let's talk about that time with the Lord. Obviously, he's got your attention, mm-hmm. and you're ready to work with him. You're going to work together. Yeah. What does that look like? Is that just sitting down and reading the Bible? Is that laying on the floor and just crying your eyes out? A lot of that. Is it uh, the, whole, the whole thing? It was, it was a lot of tears. There was a lot of, uh, 
I would read things. I've always been kind of, I've always been a reader. I've, I've been curious and, and would like to read a lot of stuff. But probably with me, it wasn't just me going and checklist. Okay, I read six chapters today. I read 10 yesterday. I read, you know, but, mm-hmm. but it was more about just, uh, I tapped into so much of what I had seen my dad do mm-hmm. in his prayer life. Yeah. And it became a very personal journey right from the get-go. And I would, I, a lot of crying and a lot of unlearning. Mm, I remember well, being... That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, because so much of learning is really about unlearning. It's kind of unraveling yourself from past patterns of thinking. I remember one time in 1993, uh, when my wife and I, this was before we had kids, we lived in a, in a condo in Jackson, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And there was a park across from our place, and I would go every night and exercise and run and walk in two or three hours and carry my put my pistol in my pocket and walk, you know. For <laughs> and I remember one one night I, I got to a point to where I was just like, God, I've been programmed by so much stuff. I've I've been you've been mischaracterized to me so many times, and I'm just I'm done. I need I I, I want to know you. I I want to really become intimately connected with your heart. And I prayed a prayer in 1993, and the prayer was, Lord, whatever you're passionate about, make me passionate about. Mm -hmm. And whatever you don't give a rip about, I don't want to give a rip about. Mm -hmm. And I prayed that prayer, and that was in 93. So then the the awakening did not really start happening until about 20 years later. Mm. But from 1993, I began to watch as chipping, chipping away. You know, God so kind of rescued in my heart. It just I, took I guess, a while. yeah. Just that that story popped back in my head. I'm like, well, that's really kind of where the where it all really really amped up. Um, and then I think probably in the, in '93, uh, I started kind of walking that prayer out and watching God do things. But I was still at that point. You know, I had not yet gone back into the deep caverns of my past mm-hmm. psyche and kind of. I'm like, wow. So this is this is why I'm this way. Mm. This is you know I sit here across from you today. I can remember words that were said to me when I was probably seven eight years old that hurt that mm. cut me. Wow. That I, and I can recall those things. Well, then God highlighted me those things, and He's like, "Yeah, you ever wonder where I was at during those times mm. when you felt the most hurt? I was there with you. You know, He just reconnected me to His unfailing." You know, never-ending love and grace, even when we're in the darkest emotional prisons and and mental just chaos. And so, yeah, I can. God, God has highlighted a lot of that kind of stuff to me. And honestly, Ruth, I've never. And you can ask my wife. We've been married almost thirty-five years. Mm-hmm. I've never really grown up as for in a good way. Yeah. I'm kind of the proverbial Toys R Us kid. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. <laughs> yes. And now, and so you can honestly understand why I'm, I went through depression yeah. more than my kids did when Toys R Us closed down. <laughs> I was like, dang, man, really? You're just ripping this stuff and just tearing the band aid off. This is part of my childhood. Where <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's your childhood right yeah, there. Yeah. And so, but that's me. But so if it's, it makes you feel any better, they're coming back. I'm, man, that's, that is an answer there to prayer. Go. My intercession has paid off. <laughs> but, but I just kind of like, I always have maintained this childlike wonder and belief in God, mm-hmm. even through the fear, even through the just the totally self-focused, performance-driven life that I was, you know, mm-hmm. a slave to for so long. I always kept that, and those those are the things that I look at as like heritage. That's I don't look at well, my heritage is I was in this church or or this is my heritage is the way that my parents 
led me to be able to see a reflection of God's heart. Mm. Now I had to weed through a lot of stuff to get to that sometimes, but yeah. that's that's I'm in a good place now. But it took a it took a long time. Yeah, God doesn't <laughs> work in in days and weeks generally. I wish He did. Yeah, so much of our character and who we are, it takes a long time. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it takes us a while usually to get to where we have some major problems, and it takes us a while to get out of it. Yeah. The Lord is great in healing. You mm-hmm. know, He does perform miracles, but so often it's the healing that He does, it which is. takes time. But I want to come back. We have to take a quick break here in just okay. a minute. But I want to come back, and when we do, talk more about how you got from A to B. That okay. process of meeting with God and really pouring your heart out to Him. Because a lot of us think... That if we go up for prayer on Sunday, that should fix it. Oh, yeah. Or if we pull our Bible out and read for, you know, a couple of weeks, then Proverbs or Psalms, typically, that that will fix it. Or, you know, we we talk to him once or twice a week or, you know, every night, God bless me and help me. Amen. You know, there's more to the story. Yeah. I'm sure. There is. And I want to just really delve in there and see what. You did not that it's you know everything is cookie cutter because yeah. God works individually for each He's individual. Yeah. yeah, but I wanted people to hear how serious you need to be mm. and how desperate and act that out. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as you know, the cry and the pillow punch, or yeah. God can handle that stuff. Yeah, He can. Or just. Even cussing a blue streak, he can handle that. He, well, he can do that. I've too. tested that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're talking about how God really changed your identity, gave you His identity for your life. Yeah. But there was a process right before that. Tell us more. Go in a little bit in depth on that because I feel like people just don't get the picture of what is required when God wants all of us. Yeah. And we get desperate, we get hopeless, and we think it's going to be the same old, same old, same old. But yet we don't really know what to do. It's not a single prayer. It's not a walk up to the um, altar at church necessarily. You know, it's not this, that, or the other. It's all. So explain, please. Yeah, it's. I, th- I like to look at it this way. When, when, when you're looking for externals to define you, to give you value, to give you approval, your life will be nothing more than a moving target. There's no mm-hmm. consistency to it because you're going to look at yourself based on the external stimuli where they're at. I mean, the words, are they coming from me? Are they positive? Okay, good. I feel good about myself. Am I getting opportunities? Uh, are people taking me seriously? Oh, that, that feels great. And so my, your life feels like, oh, this is this is wonderful now. I'm, I've got everything together. And then all of a sudden the doors close, the opportunities go away. Nobody, start, nobody calls. Nobody likes you anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, now what am I about? Who, you know, and so I think, the Lord was trying to to capture me and put me at a place where I've got to get you first of all established on the reality of the security of your identity in me. Oh, that's good. Say that again. Uh, let's see if I can remember it. Uh, <laughs> the reality <laughs> of your security in your identity in me. Mm, that's good. Because then from there, that's the place where you live your life from. But for me, for so long, I was living life from the outside in. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing that, then the end is never okay. <laughs> you're always just chasing the outsides. But when God can kind of anchor you and bring you back to square one, and then you're like, okay, I, as long as I've got that, that's mm-hmm. my true north. That's a nautical term. Yeah. Um, and so you, you know, I'm there, 
and things may go this way, things may go that way. I may go through seasons where I'm over here where I may not be the most popular thing since sliced bread. But you know what? That doesn't affect where I'm anchored. And so I guess probably in, in 2013, I was asked to be in a music group. Um, and, and the idea was the music group, they were bringing me on to change the whole dynamic of the group. The group before had performed the kind of music that it is the scourge of my my existence <laughs> because I remember my grandparents listening to it all the time. Mm-hmm. Then my parents listened mm-hmm. to it, and then church music and all of that, Southern gospel, quartet. I hated that kind of music. It, 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 it depressed me. It was all, all, the, all the language and verbiage was about getting out of here, going home. Mm-hmm. We're, this world's awful. It's terrible. You know, mama's gone. I'm ready to go see mama. You know, I mean, oh, I'm ready to cross over. And, you know, if we can just hold out a little bit longer, you know, and, and it was just miserable music. And I hated that. So, but this guy, which I'd heard of him, he, the, the guy who had the group, he used to tour with Elvis back in the day. And he also managed a very prominent and popular um, country music duet and he was the manager and so I'd heard of him and he heard me sing at an open mic night mm-hmm. or one of his associates did and uh, so they they made the pitch to me after they heard me they're like you know what you don't sound anything like a southern gospel singer and that's what we want oh. and they wanted a rocker and and somebody who had soul blue-eyed soul kind of and that's what I've always done and so uh, he said we're going to change this group and we're going to shift it from uh, quartet kind of thing to more of a hip male trio rascal flats in the day or black hawk some of those those bands and and we're we want to we want to do that with you mm. so i'm like okay well i like the guys that i'm in the band with i mean even to this day i was just in a group text with them last week oh, nice. just a lot of nostalgia just super guys and uh so um i i started traveling with them and this was in the at the in the first part of 2013 well, when I got on the road, we were having to make the transition because they had a fan base that was over here, and we had to kind of try to lead them over. Hey, guys, we're still here, but we're fixing to be something different, and you're going to love it. Well, I still had to sing some of those songs about going home Your and favorites. sing to all the blue haireds in the, in the crowd, and I'm like, you know, they're on life support. Literally, the second church I performed in with this group, I was walking in the back feeling so unprepared, unqualified. I don't, I don't, I hate this music. I don't, I don't sound like a quartet guy. What am I going to do? I'm walking in the back of the sanctuary before we sing for this packed out big Baptist church. And literally on the walls, every 15 or 20 feet, there were uh, like mobile EKG, uh, mobile uh, like heart pads. Yeah. What are they called? The defibrillator stations. Right. And they were along the wall. And I remember thinking, my God, I am singing to people about going home, and they're prepared already because they, they, this is a church full of faith, man. They got they got these defibrillators well, on the wall. There's a few apparently that aren't ready to go since the defibrillators. Evidently are out there, so. Like, these are for the stubborn ones. Uh, yeah, there wanna, you go. They want to come back, and so I I went through a season of traveling, feeling mm. so out of my element. Wow. Well, that played into the mm-hmm. insecurities. The I don't feel right. like I can be my best because this is all new to me. I hate this music, and they want me to sing it, and they love what I'm doing, but I don't love it. Mm-hmm. I love the guys, but I just can't stand this. And I was just miserable. I was like, man, I'm going further and further away from where I feel like I'm supposed to be. But that, ironically, is the season where God began to mm. just say, you know what? You're a big performance guy. Well, you're in a literally in a performance environment that you feel at the height of your insecurity. 
What a place to re-anchor you to who mm-hmm. you really are and where you really live life from. And so I began to just journal, write some things down, read a couple of guys. Honestly, there, there were two guys probably back in the day that I would listen to. And I, cause I didn't want, I like watching Christian television a lot of times. I just, mm-hmm. it was hokey. You were totally burned out on I was. And I was like, man, you're going to call this entertainment and you call it Christian. And to me, when you was Christian television or Christian music, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, it's going to sound like crap. And it's going to look cheesy. Mm-hmm. Why do you want to, why do you want to, why do you want to put Jesus to that? He should be attached to the best, the highest quality of any of that. So I remember watching, there was a couple of, of guys I'd listened to. One of them was a, a man from Singapore named Joseph Prince. Mm-hmm. I would listen to Joseph, and I would I would read some of what and he was hard to listen to sometimes because he's got a really thick accent. And for a Southern boy trying to listen to someone <laughs> yeah. from Singapore, that was a challenge. Uh, and then I listened to a guy named Andrew Womack. Mm-hmm. Just no frills, just word of God. Just and and I began to listen to what they would say about identity and who we are in Christ. In Second Corinthians five seventeen, if any man's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. And I be, and that was the capstone verse that kind of put me on a pilgrimage to recapturing the identity that God saw in me before the foundation of the world in Christ. And so I started on the, on the road there, and that's kind of where it led. I was with that group for about a year, uh, and then that went into some just some different chapters of this intense rescue of my identity. And all along the way, as God would lead me to a place, I would have to let go of something that I learned wrong. Interesting. And that, you know, and letting go, even even when you have things that you know you need to let go of, mm-hmm. when they become ingrained in you as yeah. a part of you, it's, it can be hard. It can mm-hmm. make you feel, talk about insecure, like what if what if that's wrong? And Or either yes. the, why, you mean I've been living in a deception all these years? Mm-hmm. Then you can get angry at anybody that you attach to those old ways of thinking, like you're the one that perpetuated that in my thought process. You're the one that got Mm -hmm. me to that point. And then God had to lead me through all of that. He's like, listen. So did you have to forgive? Is that part of the process I did have to forgive. Yeah. And, And every time one of those things would pop up and I would be reminded of a system I came out of, of a, a mental block because of what I was a part of. And, and I, I would, it would be a fearful thing because I mean, it's like, you know, you're taking the red pill now in the, the mm-hmm. movie The Matrix. And when that movie came out, that movie resonated with me because it was such a deep spiritual meaning behind that whole movie, The Matrix. And I had been living my life in what I thought was reality because that I had learned it all wrong. And God mm-hmm. was this. And this is how this is how you're supposed to look at God. This is how you're supposed to view God. This is how you're supposed to perform for God. Mm-hmm. Well, then I got a red, I got red peeled, they call it. They, they use that in a different context these days. I have no idea what pills. I have no idea what you're it's talking about. It's basically taking the blinders I didn't see off. the movie. You didn't see the okay. no, Don't know anything about That's it. That's a 1990, <laughs> late 90s movie. It's worth a watch. Okay. It really is. The, the original Matrix. They went off on tons of sequels and stuff, and now they've lost me. But uh, anyway, it's it's about you, truth can oftentimes make you make you an outcast, especially when you yeah. embrace it, and and when it's going against something that has been engineered by religion to say this mm-hmm. is what it, being a Christian means, A, B, C, D. If you get outside of those, you know, we'll, we'll scarlet letter you. Right. you. You'll be on the outs. And because truth, I mean, look at what Jesus did to the religious system of his day. He turned it on its ear. Mm-hmm. I mean, he yes. would, you know, he, he would, they would always try to, 
oh, we're, you know, the teachers of the law, the Sanhedrin, mm-hmm. you know, the Pharisees, always calling them back to the law. What was Jesus doing? He was like, let's go to the heart. Let's get to the heart and see why, you know, you don't believe. Mm-hmm. Here you are. You, well, one time he told him, he said, you do err. You understand the scriptures, but you won't even believe in the one the scriptures are pointing to. I'm here yeah. in your midst. And so, you know, Jesus was the ultimate red pill, man. He, he really, he, he shook them up. And so that's what began to happen to me. But hearkening back to what I said earlier, there was always that undertone of safety. It mm-hmm. may be deep down. I knew. I'm yeah. like, God loves me. He's not going to let me go off on some wild, weird frame of mind. I never worry about mm-hmm. heresy. I never worry about going off the deep end because I trust the faithfulness of God a lot more than I trust the ignorance of my own self. <laughs> I mean, I really do. I've, yeah. I've gotten, and and that's been a big part of identity is learning to see myself through the lens of how God sees me in Christ. Mm-hmm. My union with Christ because of who I am in Him now, that literally does change the entire playing field of my life. My physical, my mental, mm-hmm. my emotional, my relational, financial, all of that yeah. potentially seismically shifts when I begin to live my existence out of who I am in Christ and the security of how He sees me. I told my kids this just the other day. I said, when you go back and you use Jesus as the example, the ultimate example, when he was 30 years old and he began his earthly ministry, mm-hmm. which started out on the, on the banks of the Jordan River when John the Baptist right. was baptizing, and Jesus came. John, we know the, you know the story. John baptized Jesus. When he came up out of the water, you know, the heavens opened. It was like the doves descending, and Charlton Heston spoke in a booming <laughs> voice, this is my son, my beloved son, right. in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, Jesus had not done one thing ministry-wise. Yeah. He had not raised one dead person. He hadn't opened one blinded eye, unstopped any deaf ears. He had done nothing. But it wasn't what Jesus did that made him beloved by his father. It was who he was. It was mm-hmm. his position in his father. That's good. And so that's when we come to Christ. Man, we are there. Scripture says we are now seated in heavenly places with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. What a favored status. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so when you start approaching your life understanding that reality, man, there's no fear. There's no insecurity. Nothing I can do is going to take me out of my Father's love. Yeah. And so I think the more I have just gotten settled into all of that, and I've realized that some of the things that religion calls just the basic milk truths are really the deep truths that everything else is built on. I've heard theological ramblings that they say are deep revelation, and I'm like, uh, don't even know what you're saying, really. Uh, let's let's go back to let's go back to Jesus. Let's go back to His awesome yeah. His love for us that we are we belong now. It doesn't matter if five thousand people reject us that we. We're not, we're not rejected by our Father. Mm-hmm. And because I'm accepted by... The, I'm accepted, Scripture says, we are accepted in the Beloved. That changes everything about the landscape of our lives. Mm. But it's what we choose to believe. Are you going to settle into that reality and live according to that? Or are we going to continue to live like moving targets? Mm-hmm. And as the world says we are. Remember the old soap opera, As the World Turns? Mm-hmm. As the world turns, so turns our identity. There's no security in that. Yeah. No. And there are lots of people pulling for identity these days. But before we get into something like that, how's your identity today, Duran? It's good today. (laughs) It's it's really good. It's, um, 
I guess, yeah, I'll just, I don't, I only know how to be honest. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of issues that I'm still, that I'm dealing with right now, Mm -hmm. uh, that I sense Holy Spirit just loving me into that place of healing because I understand it here, but Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, God, I believe that. I believe that truth about me, but I need you to help me put skin on it. Mm -hmm. I need you to help me walk it out. Yeah. Because comparison is still a challenge that I face. Mm -hmm. Being a music guy, being Mm -hmm. a singer, I have a problem still sometimes comparing myself to other artists, to other singers. Yeah. Especially ones that seem to be getting breaks, seem to be having platforms, Mm -hmm. seem to be doing that. I have a problem with that. But you know what the beautiful thing is, is I recognize it. Yeah. I don't try to deny it. I don't try to make excuses for it. But I know that it's just a matter of time mm. because I, I know who's holding me. I know who's yes. leading me. I know where my heart is. I know my heart is safe with him. Uh, and I know that those things, these are just points of process. And each of these points of process I go through are going to be opportunities to help other people yes. who are walking through these same processes. Yeah. And if you were perfect, well, I'd be you dead. know, that job has been taken <laughs> exactly. 2,000 years ago. Yeah, that was only so, filled by one applicant. Yeah, Absolutely. we all always will have stuff that we've got to go through and work out and, and deal with. And you have a ministry now that you have taken my identity, which you can explain, mm-hmm. and you have turned that around to where that's available to people that can really listen. You have a podcast they can go to and listen to about your my identity, yeah. not your identity, my identity. Am I? My identity. Yeah, it's I a never, mashup. It it's is. It's taking Am my I? and identity and just slamming them together like Play Doh. Yeah. And they become lose my the identity. Why. Right. And it's my, de- my identity. Yes, yeah. whatever. Uh, <laughs> and you can find that where? You can find it online. Um, Instagram is pretty much my online presence and YouTube. Uh, if I could only find a producer to help me with a podcast, mm. that's the liability I have in my life right we now. We might can help you with that. <laughs> can I be honest right now? Everybody, I don't know, people that don't know Brandon Couch. Yeah. Brandon has given wings to my identity. Mm. I had a book that I wrote. Brandon I, is our <clears throat> producer for yes. both of us. And he's so much more. Brandon is a jack of all trades, but... Yeah, also they always say the adage is a jack of all trades, a master of none. No, he's a he's a master also. He's great at what he does. His heart yeah. is incredible. Uh, he's become he and his wife and his two kids have become very special to my family and me. Um, and so and whether he, I, I mean he's attached to us, I'll, I'll be like the little dog that won't go home. <laughs> he he may soar to the heights, but I'm going to be dragging along yeah. right behind him. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and he it does is, a great job. So yeah. that's potentially it is. Yes, mm-hmm. but it's but it's the friendships, the relationships that they are. Oh, he's getting busy. Getting is he turning red over there in his chair? No, but he, he's smiling. <laughs> I'm not sure what kind of yeah. smile it is. But though. he helped me. <laughs> he helped me. Uh, I'd something I'd been tinkering with in my mind about doing a podcast, and I jumped on YouTube and figured it out and it was hilarious then he came along i shared the vision of it with him and just mm. we we built a relationship and he took it and just did way beyond what i could have ever That's done awesome. and and it kind of gave teeth to the book that i wrote back in 2018 2019 <clears throat> and so go to youtube look up my identity podcast m-i-d-e-n-t-i-t-y podcast and uh We've taken a pause doing that. We've got almost five seasons right now, but uh, we're going to fire it up here at some point. But it's that's Good. the cool thing about it. I'm kind of letting God set the agenda mm-hmm. for what it does, what we're going to do. Recently got double certified in coaching, um, premarital coaching, 
for those who think they want to take the plunge, and then life coaching as well, and it's all identity-based. That's awesome. <clears throat> and so, yeah, we're doing that. Got some new music, to, uh, put out a new single in the fall of last year, hoping to put out more than one single this year, but we'll see. Very cool. You're a busy man. Trying to be. I'm not as busy as I want to be, but uh, I'm as busy as I need to be probably. Right now, yeah. So your ministry is very much covering the whole identity aspect of life. Yeah. And what are you seeing at this point? Because, you know, we've struggled with identity. Everybody has. I mean, you go back to the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Everybody has struggled with their identity. But now I'm seeing it for our young people especially that the enemy is just coming at them full force. And it's all about their identity. I mean, we could go down the list of all these different things that we know. I mean, you look at somebody, you hear their story, you know, that's an identity problem. If their identity was sound and secure in their creator who created them and has that identity for them, what a difference that would be. So what are you seeing in the, well, in the world, this, this show goes everywhere, but yeah. I think it's, like you said, there, there are more opportunities for our identity to get hijacked than ever before, whether it's through technology, media, pop culture, uh, even all the way down to, the, to, to the, the issues we're dealing with, even in gender, basic mm-hmm. things. Um, Medically and educationally yeah, as absolutely. well, yeah. And we're seeing, we're seeing identities engineered. Uh, it's, uh, you know, but we'll look at the first thing that Satan went after when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Yeah. If you be. Mm-hmm. He went right after his identity. Well, that's good. So that's what he's after. Because if he can make us question, doubt, and be so confused about our identity and what, then we're vulnerable to all the external factors to tell us, this is how you need to talk. This is what you need to believe. This is how you need to act. This is why you need to have your allegiance. This is what success looks like. Mm -hmm. This is what this looks like. We'll tell you that. And there's more outlets. From the times our feet hit the floor in the morning, what are the first thing we're doing? We're grabbing our phone. Yep. We're hopping on. Okay, what's what's going on? What's the whether it's calendar, whether it's looking at your news feeds on socials, whether it's checking news news outlets, mm-hmm. you know. They're 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 trying to it went from socially engineering people to now identity identity engineering. We'll tell you your value. Mm. If you're not living your life according to this blueprint or this script, you're irrelevant. Man, people aren't going to like you. Wow, you're going to you're a dinosaur. You're not relevant anymore. People are going to consider you just yesterday's news. I mean, they're after that. And so I think this generation, you know, the cool thing I'm seeing though and I mentioned earlier to you when we were talking before the show that I had the opportunity to talk to some apprentices at our church. Yes. And I talked to them about that and I told them your generation is being pulled by every side, everything. But one thing I'm noticing in this generation They've been so bombarded by all the new and shiny, all the distractions, all the technology. There's an inner longing in this generation mm-hmm. to get back to, man, what's real? Yeah. What's important? So I think we have an amazing harvest field, as it were. Mm-hmm. If we can not drop the ball and screw it up and, and put religion in the mix and, and it dilute the purity of the gospel and the purity of who Jesus is, and, and people are ready. It's, yes. you know, look on the fields, as Jesus said. They're ripe, ready to harvest. Yeah. And I think if we can harness that and let that truth and that reality become the driving force of our existence and we share that and impart that mm-hmm. to this generation and the next, yeah. 
I think we're going to see transformation and great awakening mm. like we've been praying for. Yeah, there are a lot of hurting people, and there are a lot of hurting people, not just the ones we see. Yeah. You know, you can look and see the actions or, you know, somebody's countenance and et cetera, et cetera. But there are many that are hurting who are coming out of church Yes. as well, and yeah. that they don't know who they are. Right. So somebody who's looking for what they don't know they're looking for. They're looking for their identity in Christ. You know, they can't get that peace and that fulfillment, that wholeness without that. What would you say to them? Go ahead and just speak to them. Well, I think you can overcomplicate this. Uh, it's easy to do that, especially when you get a guy that's passionate about it and he starts giving you this advice and that advice and this advice. I just had a a, a, a picture pop into my mind of the thief on the cross as Jesus was breathing his last breaths and he was being berated by those below the cross and he was being berated by the, the thieves, the thief on his the thief on his right and his his left. And the one guy was just saying, you know, Jesus, if you know, you can't even save yourself if you are the Son of God, again attacking his identity, trying to get him to prove his identity. And the other thief looked over and said, Leave him alone. This guy didn't even do anything. We deserve what we're getting. But it was something as simple as him looking at Jesus and saying, hey, remember me mm -hmm. when you enter into your kingdom? And Jesus looked at him. He didn't have a pedigree of religion. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't know theology or, or hermeneutics or homiletics. He just called out and said, Jesus, remember me. Mm -hmm. And Jesus looked at him and said, this day, you'll be with me in paradise. I think it all starts with just just looking to Jesus and saying, hey, I'm created in your image, I've heard, but I need to know who I am. I need to know what being in your image looks like in very real time in every aspect of my life. And, and let Jesus take you on an adventure that's not scripted. It can't be manipulated by you. And besides, it wouldn't be any fun if it was manipulated by you. It sounds like it would. If you're like me, I like to kind of have a say and be in control of kind of what direction my life's heading. But I've learned that walking in your identity and experiencing the fullness of who you are in Christ, it's more of an adventure than it is a script. Just start with something simple and then watch what he can do when he rescues your identity and lets you engage life from that reality. Mm, that's so good. Deron, this has been a treat. Very much As so. for me. Thank you, Ruth. And for identity, we all struggle with it, either a little or a lot, or for a season or continuously. Yeah. And this has been powerful. And if you want to find out more about Duran, you can go to? You can go to Instagram, uh, and it's called The My Identity Podcast. I think it's just at My Identity Podcast or at The My Identity Podcast. Whichever one works, that's the one you want to go to. Uh, and then you can go to YouTube, and there is a My Identity podcast page on YouTube, and we've got all the episodes archived there. And don't forget, it's M-I-D-M-I-D-E-N-T-I-T-Y, My Identity. There you go. Deron, thanks again, Thank and you, come back anytime. I appreciate you that. You can tell we have fun when we're together, so oh, yeah. we'll let him come back again. Oh, yeah. You've behaved enough this time. <laughs> Good. I was worried about that big time. Y'all yeah. have a great week. We'll see you same time, same place next week. And until then, you go and work on that identity that God has for you.